Hello and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. I'm Andrew. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to episode 14, The Canadian Alamo. So Caleb, what did we talk about last week? Well, we talked about how the French and the Five Nations made peace and buried the hatchet for a short amount of time. Yes. And the Jesuits ended up coming, along with some other traders, to the Onondaga main town to help set up a trading post and a mission. Yep. It uh, caused some friction with a few of the other Five Nation tribes, uh, the Mohawk in particular, because the Mohawk had a trade monopoly going on, and all trade had to go through them in order to get to the French or Dutch. But now that the Onondaga have made peace with the French, they're kind of cutting in on a little bit of the Mohawk's trading action. Yes. Some things kind of go down, and we're not really sure why, but... Uh, the French did not feel welcome anymore, and they skipped town in the middle of the night, packing up everybody on boats that they had secretly built, and headed back to Canada, leaving the Onondaga scratching their heads as to what was wrong with them. Which leads us to today. The short-lived peace is over, and we are going to see years more of war. And so to start things off, to give you an idea, set you up on the map, and if you go to our website, longhousepodcast.com, we do have maps set up with this time period going on. The Five Nations have mostly destroyed or removed peoples from the area of modern southern-day Ontario and even southern Quebec, leaving it mostly an area now that they use for hunting, and they have started to settle a few small hamlets on the northern shore of Lake Ontario. This leaves the Iroquois in control of the Ottawa River, which is a main river that flows from the west down into Montreal, and it connects at the island of Montreal with the St. Lawrence River. And the Iroquois are controlling this, and they're also controlling Lake Ontario. So any trade that the French have coming from the west is totally non-existent now. The Iroquois are totally controlling yeah. it. So not only have the French now lost all of their strong Indian allies, such as the Huron and the Algonquin, who have been just uh, completely crushed and just made into refugee states now. With the Iroquois rise of power and now the new war starting back up after the break of peace several years earlier, like Andrew said, the river has been cut off. So now the, the settlement of New France, Montreal in particular, in the past had been receiving most likely hundreds of canoes and trade goods coming up and down the river uh, to trade and send back to France. And these past two years, it's said that six canoes have made it through the river. So this is like a trade embargo or a blockade that has been put in place. And so if you remember, France primarily is a trading colony. They really have no other goods to go for. So this is crushing their local economy and their export goods. It's so bad uh, that the French did, weren't even relying on agriculture or lumber or anything. Did you know at this time, Caleb, do you know how many horses there were in New France? How many? Zero. They didn't even have horses to clear land. That's how reliant they were on getting ships from France for supplies. Wow. Based on their ability to sell furs. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, this is causing a lot of tension. Which leads us up to what we would call the Canadian Alamo. Now, we need to set the stage beforehand of what led up to this, because there is no Alamo in, in Canada. This is, this is a symbolic thing, similar to what may have happened at the Alamo. 
Now, just like uh, here in America, how we have our Alamo story, which is this great heroic tale where we've got all these great American characters and they stand up for freedom and fight fight to the death uh, under against hopeless odds. Not a lot of people survive. This battle here is called the Battle of Long So. And uh, much like the American Alamo, there's really no survival survivors. And those that uh, do escape tell the tale. There's a lot of fabrication, most likely, in the mm-hmm. story. And it's become a mythical battle, almost. So let's, let's introduce some characters. Um, first, we need to mention the main guy. His name is Adam Dollar. Now, Adam Dollar was born in France. And he came to New France, Montreal, at a fairly young age. And he was a military man. And even though he was young, he rose through the ranks quite rapidly to the point when he was only 23 years old. He was actually appointed the battalion commander by the governor of Montreal. Mm-hmm. So the governor there in New France said, we need to do something about these raids. The Iroquois, what they were doing is if any other Algonquin or Huron or any other thing were trying to come down the river, the Iroquois would simply wait in ambush and either just seize their stuff altogether or possibly even kill the people that were trying to travel it. Dalar gets this idea, well, why don't we wait in ambush and when some Iroquois are coming back from their expeditions, we can capture them and get some of the trade goods that they have and bring them back to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Tries to turn the turn the table on the ambushers. Mm-hmm. Ambush the ambushers and then take canoes worth of furs back to Montreal and become a hero. Mm-hmm. So as I said before, the Ottawa River flows down from the northwest and it crosses on the north side of Montreal where the St. Lawrence meets. So they move up to a place called Long Sault. Now, if you want to Google this, it is not spelled S-O. It is spelled S-A-U-L-T. Why the French seem to think that they don't have to pronounce half the letters in their words is beyond me. But it roughly is translated the Long Rapids. Yep. And uh, at the time, the river was just filled with rapids. If you go there today, the river's still there, obviously, but they've put up a hydro dam there now. So it basically just looks like a lake now, a nice calm lake. But at the time, it was quite treacherous, and there was a lot of places where you had to get out and... Uh, do a portage. Yeah, do a portage for your canoe. Now, the governor, like we said, he he appoints Dalar in charge of basically going... He, he gives him a, a blank check, basically, and says, Here, take the men you need and see if you can do anything to open up this trade embargo. So he gets 16 ragtag soldiers, uh, most of which have no military experience... And he's able to f- to muster up 40 Huron and, and five Algonquin? Four Algonquin. Four Algonquin. So they, they roughly have about 60 men. Mm-hmm. And they head down the river to make the goal to open it up for trade. And if they can, ambush any Iroquois trade canoes they find along the way, which they very shortly do. Yep. They Upon arrival, they find an abandoned Algonquin fort. And when they get there, they start making preparations to refortify it. Um, so remember, if we talk about what the forts were, they were wooden palisades. So think of tree trunks around in a ring shape, like a fort, a stockaded fort. Uh, the Algonquin and the Huron meet up with them there. And as Caleb said, wouldn't you know it, shortly after they get there, they see a flotilla of canoes coming down. And it's 13 Onondaga people. Great. 
you got 60 people. This this is starting off to be a pretty good mission. We can take 13, uh, 13 Onondaga pretty yeah. easily. So they get in their positions, you know, people that have guns, people that have arrows, they're lining up, and they fire and shoot, and they kill all but four right away and go down and seize the canoes and got the stuff. Yep. So they begin to congratulate themselves, thinking that they just got these trade canoes. But I, I tend to picture them kind of looking at this and scratching their head because these trade canoes had very few trade goods on them. In fact, they didn't have any. They just had a few supplies. There were no furs in these canoes. There were 16 Onondaga here with no trade. What were they doing in the river? And what they were doing in the river is something that nobody had any idea was on the way straight for them. The problem is they killed most of the Onondaga, but four made it out. And those four people went back and told the main contingent what had just happened. That's, these people were lead scouts. Yes, these were the flotilla. scouts of a huge raiding party that allegedly was heading up to crush New France. Because they had had enough of the French playing it both ways. You want to be our friend, you don't want to be our friend, you want missionaries, but then your missionaries leave us. You say you want peace, but then you're trying to go around us and trade with other people. They were they were sick and tired of the French. And so it is alleged that their target was Montreal. We say alleged here because we're going to talk about this when the story's over, but a lot of things are gray because when you have a battle with no survivors or very few survivors, uh, the facts can get murky. Mm -hmm. And then, especially when you have those few survivors telling a missionary who writes it down or mentions it to some European journalist who then writes it down 50 years later, you very easily can get the the facts a little miscued. So, how many Iroquois are we talking about that suddenly have come up to this fort that they are setting up? Well, first they deal with the 16 Onondaga, and then it turns out that there's 200 warriors not far from there coming up the river. And they know exactly where they're at. That's right. And also, soon they're going to deal with these 200 warriors, but what they don't realize is that's just one of the branches of the army and that they have a whole other wing of 500 more warriors not far from there. They've got a total of about 700 about to converge on their location. And how many did we say they have? Well, if we do the math... It was roughly 18 Frenchmen, 4 Algonquin, and 40 Huron. So just over 60 men. Not much. Um, they had brought a little bit of food with them. Not much. They did have an ample supply of gunpowder and weapons, however. So let's start the siege, shall we? Everybody loves a good siege. So as soon as Delar learns that there's 200 Iroquois warriors heading straight for them, this is where the heroic, you know, Canadian Alamo story comes into play. Because it said he probably could grab his men and try and run back to Montreal. But instead, he gathers his men and they begin to fortify the fort and prepare to make a stand. Now, the Iroquois immediately launch an assault on the fortified position, but they're driven back. Now, that doesn't make much sense, Caleb. How can... 200, you got 200 to 60. It seems like that the 200 wouldn't have no power overpowering them, right? That's right. So so the 200 warriors show up and they surround them and lay the siege. 
And it seems to me like you have 200 warriors. You could pretty easily storm this place, just surround it, and just start shooting the heck out of it and uh, and wipe them out pretty quick. But that's not the case. Now, you got to picture this. If you're up in an elevated position with rifles pointed out and you're in a circle so you can have a person facing out in every direction, and as we've learned in Star Wars, when you have the high ground, it's over. So try running up against a 20-foot wall and seeing guns pointed down at you. Are you going to charge like a bunch of madmen? Mm-hmm. Also, yes, they probably could storm it with all 200 men, but like we mentioned in other episodes, the Iroquois didn't have the mindset like the Europeans with their chivalry on the honor to die. They thought it was a shame if you died. And, you know, it, it didn't mean everybody would respect you back in your village. It meant that you had poor arenda. And you'd be looked down on. So nobody wanted to risk throwing their life away unless they were sure they could go in and kill everybody and live. Yep. So you wanted to make sure that you used strategy, not necessarily complete insanity yes. to accomplish your goal. So the first attack, they they charge the wall. They pick up their canoes and use them as like a phalanx system where they link them all together and they try going up and breaking the wall open. Mm-hmm. But it's thick logs. There's really nothing, you're just scratching against walls with claws. There's nothing you can really do. And some Iroquois warriors start falling mm-hmm. from gunshot wounds so and arrow wounds. So if you're with a guy, and even if if they're just wounded, let alone killed, if somebody's wounded, you're not going to risk anybody else getting killed. You're going to fall back and rethink what you're doing. So that's what they do. They fall back. So, so far, sounds pretty good. Uh, it's basically a one to four odds. You've just charged up, you've given them some casualties, and you've held out your fort. Mm-hmm. Then, a Seneca war chief comes forward and devises a new way, thinking that maybe they can scale. Because that's really what you want to do. You want to scale the wall and get in. Because they've pretty much sealed themselves up inside. Yes, they've closed you. off a gate. Think about how long it takes to load a musket. If you can just get a couple braves inside and start fighting hand-to-hand, all of a sudden those people aren't able to load their muskets and point them through the palisade. And you can get everybody in and wipe wipe the whole fort out pretty quick if you can just get a few men inside. Yep. So they come back through, and they've got the Seneca chief going with them. When they come up and get to the edge of the palisades in the fighting, the Seneca chief falls. So obviously the men then fall back because they're very concerned. Now the French decide that they're going to do a little uh, a little wartime propaganda and find a way to inspire fear, right? Yeah, a little psychological warfare. Yes. So what do they do, Caleb? Well, like we said, the chief fell. I'm not sure if he was dead or severely wounded, but all the other uh, warriors fell back. So they run out with a tomahawk, and they take off his head. And the then French do this. The French do. The French go out, and the fallen Seneca chief, they cut off his head, and they put it on a palisade right, at, right on the wall so that everybody else can see it when they charge the wall. Now, I thought that Europeans were chivalrous, Caleb. Now, once again, the Iroquois attack, and this time they lose even more men. And this ragtag group of soldiers and uh, Indian allies are starting to get pretty confident. They've held off three attacks against their small fort, and all of a sudden the Iroquois are sending someone forward saying they want to talk. The Huron come up to Dalar and say, hey, why don't we talk? Why don't why don't we come to some agreement so uh, everybody can go home today? And Dalar says, "We will not negotiate with terrorists. 
not in those exact words, but he basically said, uh, we're not going to parlay with the Iroquois. We're doing just fine here, holding them off. We've fought them off three times. We've still got all our men and had no casualties. We'll keep fighting them if they keep charging. There's one piece of information that Delar was lacking, though. He thought that he only had to hold off 200. Now they've lost maybe a couple dozen men. So they're thinking, you know, they only have to hold off less than 200 men now. So no problem, right? Right. But like we said, even this wasn't the full army. This, they had more reinforcements down the river of over 500 men. So they decided they might send a canoe down. And let them know that they needed some help. So I imagine uh, Delar and his allies felt pretty peachy when they're sitting in there and then they see a group of 10 canoes all get in and leave. I imagine they're thinking, look, they're already having some people deserting, saying this isn't worth it. We've killed their Seneca war chief. We've got his head sitting right here. We've held off three attacks. There goes a bunch of canoes downstream. I bet they were thinking they were going to be able to win this battle. But in reality, the canoes were heading down and getting the reinforcements to come. And when they got there, they came a-rolling mighty quick. Can you imagine... The blood-curdling war cry of 700 people surrounding you. You've got the 200 there, and all of a sudden you start hearing yelps and whoops throughout the woods. And all of a sudden, whose psychological warfare is uh, starting to get into whose head? Mm -hmm. And you realize, we've just totally dishonored this dead war chief and mutilated his body. What are they going to do to us if they get to us? Yeah. Once the reinforcements arrive, pretty quick people start to realize what's going to happen here. And the Huron aren't stupid. You have to remember a lot of uh, Huron have been adopted by the Iroquois Five Nations at the time. And so they're going to be in this army. Yes. So they're getting Huron former family members yelling over the wall, if you guys just desert, we'll let you live type of thing going on. The food supplies are running low. They have no water. They've been stuck in here for at least three days now, repulsing this war. And then in the morning, Delard comes out of his his little shack, his little tent, and the Huron are all gone. And the Algonquin, too. The records state the Huron chief Anahotata was the only one that stayed. I wonder why that is. I wonder if he was an older guy and he just realized, you know, I'm going to fight to the end with these guys. He could have been a good friend of Delard. And that's why he came. It doesn't say. But according to the information we have, he was the only one that stayed. And everybody else deserted. So, like, it wasn't bad enough having 60 men, I guess 700. Now you have 19? 19. 19 men. Depending, we don't know if any Frenchmen have been lost to this point. It's possible that some could have. We don't know at this point what they're down to. But let's put it at best case scenario. You're down to 19 people. And now you're holding off 700 Plus, we don't know if the Haran joined back in with them or if they just let them go. Uh, one version says that they killed all the Haran. I don't, I don't see that. It doesn't make sense because, like you said, the Haran are trying to get their relatives to come over and join the other side. I'm thinking it might be after-the-fact propaganda. But regardless, you're down to 19 people in your little mm-hmm. uh, palisaded fort. I wonder if some of Delard's men start to think, man, I wish we'd parlayed at this point because now it's completely hopeless. The Iroquois are not going to parlay with them. They're not going to make any deals now. They've already lost a lot of their friends, and they want revenge at this point. So the Iroquois launch a fourth attack. 
Again, they're driven back. It, it doesn't go as well. So then they mount their fourth and, dare I say, final, yes, final attack on the Palisade. Delar and his men pass out the last of the rations. I imagine they say a little prayer and they say, yippee here it comes. Mm-hmm. The Iroquois have got their wooden, thick wooden shields that they've been using to deflect the musket balls, which is proving quite effective. If you've got some heavier woods, they can re- be really well at making it semi-bulletproof. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if we talked about this in the past, but a lot of uh, Northeast Indians used birch bark canoes, but the Iroquois were notorious for elm bark canoes, which were like dugout, thick wood canoes. They weren't just like a thin bark. These were solid wood dugout canoes. So they could stop a musket ball. Mm-hmm. So it makes an excellent little, like you said, to use the term, phalanx system that they're using to protect themselves. So picture it, just hundreds of people converging. They've got all carrying the canoes. They get to the walls and they start stacking them up, using them as ladders to, to get up. And they're fighting on the edges of the walls. I, I'd imagine they're converging on several sides at once to mm-hmm. overwhelm them completely. His men are pointing their muskets out, and they're firing through the cracks, and they're they're just sticking right into the bark and having no effect, and they realize this is it. So Delard tries to get creative. Yes, and this is what makes him the greatest hero, because this is what makes him save New France. He comes up with this idea where he'll take a huge keg of gunpowder, and he'll just fill it full of musket balls. And he figures if he can get a big enough explosion and chuck it over the wall, then he could kill 100 people in one explosion. Yeah, because they're all compact in a small area. Just picture them pouring in on the sides. You, Yeah, you throw it in there. You could easily, if not kill, definitely wound and maim lots of people. So he quickly gives the command to his last, his last men, and they bring over their last keg of gunpowder, and they load it full of steel shot and every other piece of metal they can find. As the Iroquois are tearing at the walls all around them in front of the gate, they put a fuse on it, and they get ready, and they grab it on each side, and they go to throw it over the wall. All it has to do is make it over, and as it's heading over, it's, they can all see it in their minds, making it over and wiping out huge amounts of their enemy, when all of a sudden, it hits the top of the wall and falls back in the middle of the camp, exploding and killing almost all of them. But, uh, buddy Andrew, that's not how this the story's supposed to happen. Well, they should have thrown it a little further. So Maybe it, they should have So it, it didn't make it over the wall and they did, didn't survive? It did not make it over the wall and, in fact, it killed most of them and then after the explosion was over, the Iroquois poured in. Hold the, on, let me grab my notes here. They go, they light the thing, they fill it full of musk balls, they throw it at the wall, it hits the wall, bounces back, killing most of them. Okay, you're right. Yeah, that that doesn't sound very heroic. It kind of sounds like a version of Wile E. Coyote buying the Acme rocket that ends up blowing up in his face. So it says that they were all killed except for one person who was then captured, and shortly thereafter he was killed himself. It's a victory for the Iroquois. Now why does a bunch of ragtag people getting themselves all killed over trying to break a silly fur blockade, make them famous. That's right. As saviors of France. Yeah. What is up with that? Well, like we said, and this, like we said, this is alleged. There's no solid proof in this. There's definitely some things that point to this, but 
rumor has it that this huge war party, like we said, they were heading for Montreal. They were heading to wipe out New France. That was their goal. They were going to go through and burn and kill every person they could find and purge the area of these troublesome Europeans that were wreaking havoc in their confederacy. But because Dalar and his group of ragtag soldiers were able to do such a hindrance to them, it's projected they may have killed, you know, there's really no solid number, but it's said that there were heavy casualties in some of these. So let's say they fight man for man and kill 60. Well, 60 out of 700 is still pretty close to 10% casualty rate. Especially when you're just facing 18 people and you haven't even gotten to the city yet. Mm-hmm. So they're held up for four or five days at this battle, and they've lost 10% of their army. We can look at this and see that this may be what turned them around, so the invasion never took place. Dallard became known in later history as the savior of New France mm-hmm. due to this stand. Yeah, the population of Montreal at this time as well was probably around maybe 350 people. Now, there were, there were much more French people in New France, but they had three main towns at this point, Montreal, Three Rivers, and Quebec. And they had other settlements outside. But like Caleb said, you got 700 people taking on 340, destroy one of the towns, that would be a huge blow to the French. Mm-hmm. But, Especially the French who already for the past two years haven't been receiving any trade income. You know, that might be the last nail in the coffin. They might just pull out at that point. Mm-hmm. It's not profitable anymore. We won't know because there's no records that they continued on. There's no records that they sent a scouting party ahead. They turned around and went home. And honestly, the Iroquois could have seen that as a victory in itself. They were able to get some Huron to convert over to them. They got some scalps and some cool war stories. And there were a lot of casualties. But all in all, they they could consider it a successful invasion. Where did the story come from? If there were no survivors and the Iroquois went back and they didn't have a written language, how do we get this story? How do we know this even happened? The story gets passed down. I mean, it's documented fact that Delar and these 18 men went out. That's in the French records. It's not documented them knowing how they died. Obviously, they died from the Iroquois. There, there's no doubt about that. But the whole gunpowder explosion and the four waves and the Seneca war chief, where'd all that information come from? Well, we mentioned that some Huron deserted. Well, about five of them came back to New France after the thing was over. Because maybe that was their home and that's where they wanted to stay. So they came back to New France and they talked to a group of nuns who were there. And they wrote down what happened. And then the nuns told the story to the chronicler, the historian, and they wrote it down. So this is why it's sketchy because, one... Who knows if these Huron were putting facts in to make them sound not as cowardly? Secondly, what kind of play did the nuns have on it? And thirdly, what did the historian hear? So we're looking at possibly a third-hand account. And in history, you try to steer away from those things, but sometimes that's the best you've got. Now, we always talk about oral tradition here. So this is a French oral predominantly tradition that was written down eventually. And so we just have to go by what was said. Uh, There's other theories, right, Caleb, to uh, why the people went out? Yeah, there's a couple different conspiracy theories and rumors. Uh, One of them is that Dalar was actually in debt, large amounts of debt. 
in the Canadian legend, they portray him as a guy who maybe knew that this attack was coming. And so he grabbed his ragtag group of soldiers and they went out to do a death stand and fight off the Iroquois as long as they could. So that's like the really heroic side. Then there's also the the rumor that he was a debtor and he went out with this group of ragtag individuals to, like we said, pirate trade canoes and bring them back for money for themselves. And then I'm not sure if you read this one, but there's also a theory that this battle never even took place and all these people went and got adopted into tribes and they were abandoning New France because they didn't like it there. And so this battle never even happened and the army was never even coming. I read that on somewhere, but that was kind of blown off as a uh, conspiracy theory. But We'll never know the full truth, but either way you look at it, it's an interesting story from whichever the outcome is. So what's going to happen now, Caleb? Well, now that war has officially started again and battles have been raged, French soldiers are dead, including Delar, who we, I forgot to mention this, but he actually had some friends in high places back in France. Like one of the ministers to the king of France was one of his patrons. And so all of a sudden they're going to get word that, wait a minute, there hasn't been any trade canoes in Montreal in two years. Delar is dead. These men are dead, all of the Catholic converted Huron are being killed, and the king of France is going to say enough is enough. I have the actual letter he wrote, and here's what he said. These Iroquois have hindered the evangelization of peaceful Indians, secondly, diverted the trade of furs towards the English, and massacred French settlers. His majesty's intentions are, and he finds it necessary, to utterly destroy these barbarians so tune in next week when for the first time in history the Iroquois are going to have to face professional French battalions thank you everyone just remember please like us on Facebook if you have an opportunity we would love to hear from you you can email us at longhousepodcast at gmail.com also what about iTunes Caleb that's right. Uh, for those of you that didn't listen last week, for anybody that leaves us an iTunes review, you are going to be adopted into our honorary clan, and our clan is the Wild Sweet Potato Clan. Yeah. And you will get your name on the wall of uh, the clan wall of honor on our website with everybody else, so you can point to your friends and family and say, "Look," and it doesn't even have to be a good review. You could leave a bad one. We'd put you down lower on the totem pole, but we'd put you up there. We'd probably make them. Uh, walk the the gauntlet walk the gauntlet if they leave a bad review but they could still be members yeah but after a little uh public hazing <laughs> tune in next time folks